0: Welcome to the talk to your pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey, listeners, we have a series of out our new book that is available on Amazon for pre-order how pharmacists lead answers from women to watch who are leading succeeding and making an impact in pharmacy we hope you'll go check it out we're curating credible information about natural products brought to you by a clinician pharmacist Hillary Blackburn with the increase in the use of natural products such as cannabis Dietary supplements, herbs, and essential oils over the past few years. The purpose of this podcast is to bring expert information to our audience of healthcare professionals and even the public who want to learn more. This podcast is not intended to be for direct medical advice. Please refer to your doctor, or pharmacist, or other healthcare professional for specifics related to your own health. right listeners so today we are going to be talking about medical cannabis and uh, we wanted to hear a little bit from their perspective of um, what is medical cannabis we're going to touch on some of those topics and today I have a special guest here with me we'll be sharing a little bit about what she's learned Uh, digging into some of this and uh, what uh, she's seen out in the workplace as well. So, Kari?
1: Hi. Hi, I'm Kari. I'm a fourth-year pharmacy student. Um, I'm out here in Nashville on rotations currently, and for the past month I've been kind of digging into what medical marijuana or cannabis is, um, the history of it, um, how it's used, and just kind of the controversy around it. At the time of production, she is now a graduated pharmacist, though.
0: Yes, there is certainly a lot of controversy around (laughs) it, um, but we are wanting to help separate the fact from uh, fiction, and so let's just jump in a little
1: bit, uh, because cannabis has been around for quite some time. (laughs) Yes, yeah, it's been around for pretty much the entire human history. Mm -hmm. Um, There's tax dating back in China and India that go back thousands and thousands of years, um, and really until the 1930s in the u.s it was kind of used universally
0: yes uh and even some early settlers brought in cannabis they had hemp farms Mm -hmm. we'll go a little bit into what hemp and cannabis is in in a minute um but yeah so in the 1930s Um, really, uh, one of the, the FBI bureaus, uh, realized that he could make a little bit more money for his, uh, department if they painted marijuana in a little bit of a negative light and, uh, you know, then it got, uh, manifested with the reefer madness film, uh, portrayed marijuana is having a lot of, um, promiscuity and, and just kind of some negative, uh, negative behavioral things associated with it, even though uh, it was sold in pharmacies mm-hmm. up through the 1930s. So um, a lot happening there. Anything else you want to add based on the history?
1: Um, a little bit. on It was put into the United States Pharmacopeia in the 1840s, and it was in the United States Pharmacopeia until 1937. It was taken out in 1937. But the the medical, um, the doctors actually fought for it to stay in the United States Pharmacopeia for five more years until 1942, which is a little crazy. They really thought that it was, um, had clear medical benefit, even though there was a lot of political controversy against it.
0: Yes. And the Marijuana Tax Act Mm -hmm. was uh, they were taxing doctors who were going to be prescribing marijuana. And so, of course, if you're going to be taxed to prescribe a therapy, they um, tended to trend towards not just not uh, writing or prescribing that anymore. So, um, yes. So a lot of history with um, cannabis. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what is cannabis? what is cannabis? What's cannabis versus marijuana versus (laughs) hemp? There's a lot of terminologies out there. And I, and I think a lot of people are a little unclear about what that exactly means.
1: Okay. Yeah. So cannabis and marijuana are the same plant. It's just a different name for the exact same thing. So cannabis is the Latin term. Marijuana is, um, derived from the Mexican term marijuana with an H instead of a J. Um, The difference between cannabis and hemp is the amount of THC. So they are different plants. The THC content as defined in the 2018 Farm Bill is 0.3 for it to be defined as hemp, um, though there are a couple different levels depending on who you're looking at.
0: Yes. Um, And so there are hemp is it would have CBD only or cannabidiol. Um, and that is, uh, one of the most popular, I guess, ingredients mm-hmm. of cannabis that listeners are probably hearing about, probably seeing it in gas stations, um, in, you know, boutique fitness places, uh, even in now retail pharmacies. So the CBD uh, is not supposed to get you high. There are no psychoactive um, properties with CBD and so so um, there have been a lot of um, claims for its benefits and we can certainly get into that. And then the THC um, is has been the most those CBDs and THC are the two most uh, commonly known uh, of the cannabinoids and the THC is what gets that euphoric or high feeling. All right. So what, let's talk a little bit about the like regulatory landscape of (laughs) medical cannabis, which seems to be shifting. Um, so I remember, uh, when I first started learning more about medical cannabis, I was shocked that, um, over 30 States had approved, medical cannabis now I think eight or nine have recreational at this point
1: I think Illinois just doesn't go into effect until January 1st but the law is in place okay so eight or nine depending on what what you define it as
0: yes and so the difference between that means that with medical cannabis it still is um little more regulated there are only certain approved conditions uh, and that varies from state by state based on uh, what people can uh, go to a doctor or um, nurse practitioner or whomever is designated by that state to prescribe uh, medical cannabis and then they go to a medical marijuana dispensary Um, so um, a lot of times those may have pharmacists involved uh those regulations (laughs) differ from state to state Mm -hmm. and uh and and patients have to to get registered um definitely a very lengthy process to be able to obtain uh cannabis through the medical cannabis regulations and then for recreational it's definitely more wild wild west (laughs) and um so there are what's called um dispensaries and you know you'll you've seen these or you'll and in colorado washington and basically anyone that is 21 or older can enter and um, it honestly often looks like an apple store Um, so there are very so you show your id at the door there is a um, guard there because a lot of times um, these cannabis industries only can accept cash. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other banking uh, issues with um, the cannabis industry uh, since it's still federally illegal. Um, and, and then when someone walks in, you've got a bud tender there uh, that is helping um, a customer uh, pick out a product. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's, it's uh, a little bit like a, I guess a liquor store, um, but for, uh, marijuana is the best to describe it. Um, so often we'll hear that these patients or customers are going into, you know, dispensaries, whether they be medical, uh, or recreational, and oftentimes are walking into the pharmacy to ask the pharmacist, um, how do they use it? And, um, how do they take it with any of their other medicines? Uh, so that's, that's the interesting question here. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit more about um, the cannabinoid system.
1: Okay. So the en- endocannabinoid system or just cannabis in general?
0: Good clarification. I guess first let's talk about the endocannabinoid system.
1: So endocannabinoid system is just our body's natural system. Our body actually produces cannabinoids. They're called endocannabinoids because they're in our body. And these guys bind to the cannabinoid receptors that are in our body. We have cannabinoid one and cannabinoid two. And these guys are abbreviated as CB1 and CB2. So CB1 is uh, more prevalent in the brain. Um, it exists throughout all brain tissues except for the brain stem. And THC is, uh, has a higher affinity to bind to CB1. Uh, CB2 is more prevalent on immune cells, um, including the microglia in the brain, and CBD is more, has a higher affinity to bind to CB2. In addition, CBD also has allosteric binding to uh, cannabinoid receptor one, or CB1, and that causes modification on how THC works in the body. So not just THC does, has the psychoactive properties and CBD doesn't, together they can have some different effects than they would alone.
0: Yes. And I believe, um, so what was most interesting to me was that in school, Mm -hmm. uh, so as in pharmacy school or other healthcare professional schools, uh, we learn about the respiratory system. We learn about the cardiovascular system, but we don't learn about the endocannabinoid system. No, not at all. Um, so, uh, yes, thanks for sharing a little bit more about that. And so just like we know that opioids are, um, I guess binding or attracted to the mu receptors. Mm-hmm. Um, there are um, CB1, CB2 receptors that cannabis, um, when we ingest or, or take it, however, however we're uh, going to be taking that, mm-hmm. um, can influence those receptors and um, cause some mediation or mm-hmm. effects. Um, and the endocannabinoid system is
1: responsible for homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can affect mood, pain, anxiety. It's got a lot of effects on its own. So your body can regulate different processes like your mood and pain levels with these endocannabinoids in your body and then the uh, cannabinoid receptors.
0: Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 Drug Disposal of Controlled Substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com/talk-to-your-pharmacist. All right, so so we know the body produces our own, and then there are synthetically derived cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a little bit more about that too, uh, because we have seen other medicines that have been approved already, mm-hmm. like dronabinol. Yes, yes, the synthetic. Cismet.
1: Sativex, but that's Satavex not approved X here. in the
0: UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Marinol or Dredaminol. And then...
1: Pidiolex?
0: Oh, Epidiolex. Yes, so that's the newest one that's been approved. Oh, okay, Sezamet. That was Marinol, Sezamet, and now Epidiolex is the first one that um, I believe was not synthetically um, derived, but um, they actually uh, produced it straight from... CBD or the cannabidiol, and that was approved in the summer of 2018 Mm -hmm. um, by GW Pharmaceuticals, and it was for a very narrow indication. Yeah,
1: just for Lennox-Gastaut syndrome or Dravet syndrome, which are specific types of seizures.
0: Yes, Um, so more orphan drug status, Mm -hmm. but I believe if you look at their pipeline, um, they've got a lot of other... Uh, potential seizure um, conditions that they'll also be going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is a Schedule 5. Yep. So um, cannabis or marijuana is a Schedule 1 mm-hmm. by the federal government. Mm-hmm. However, somehow the FDA was able to approve Epidiolex as a Schedule 5. Yeah.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Interesting legal <laughs> landscape, basically.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Dronabinol uh, is even a Schedule 3. And then mm-hmm. there is another one that's a schedule too. I
0: guess that one is the season
1: Met? Potentially, yeah. I'm
0: Potentially, we I'll we'll double, double we'll double check on these, um, and get those back in the show notes. <laughs> um, so another thing that we may want to share with our listeners is what are some of the other common, uh, so we've talked about CBD and THC. Um, uh, what are some of the other, so there, I think there's over 160 different cannabinoids that have been identified, although they haven't quite um, targeted or mapped out what all of those cannabinoids might uh, impact or influence.
1: Yeah, there's a whole bunch of cannabinoids. There's, you know, there's precursors to THC. There's molecules that come from the breakdown of THC. Same thing with CBD. Um, and we really don't know much about them. So CBG, CBC. Um, there's a whole bunch CBN. more. Yeah.
0: hmm
1: And I know CBN is the one that's the breakdown of THC, but the rest of them, I. I could not find either very much research on them mm-hmm. or we just really didn't know much about w- how they fit into physiologic process.
0: Okay. All right. So speaking of, um, f- of the impact, uh, let's talk a little bit about what are some of the potential therapeutic benefits? Um, so why is all the hype about um, medical cannabis where some people are even thinking of it as like a, you know, cure-all, which um, it's not a cure. It can mediate some symptoms, Mm -hmm. um, for instance, seizures that we've already shared a little bit about. Um, So what are some other of the main types of um, therapeutic benefits that we've seen uh, from uh, already or that that some uh, conditions have been approved?
1: So it's probably has the most data behind chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, Mm -hmm. um, chemo pain, and then also um, appetite stimulation in chemo or in cancer. So we have data behind using it for symptom-controlling cancer. It certainly has evidence to help with nausea and vomiting, reducing that, and increasing appetite in patients with with cancer, though there have been claims made either on the internet or just from unreputable sources that it can cure cancer. So it's important when you're talking to patients that it's not going to cure cancer, that it's just going to manage the symptoms of what they're having. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also has um, help with just weight loss in general. There's not great evidence for that, but it it can help with um, appetite stimulation. Um, Other pain syndromes has some small evidence depending on where the pain is from. Um, And then there's also evidence with multiple sclerosis Mm -hmm. um, with the inflammation pathways and the CB2 receptors. Um, There was potential utility with glaucoma, um, but with glaucoma, there's some issues with how long the effects of the cannabis last. Uh, So it does reduce the intraocular pressure, but only for a couple hours. So patients would have to use it up to five or six times a day, mm. which may not be very useful for them if they have to be utilizing the medication constantly. Right.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's really interesting. Um wow. Uh so yeah, let's talk a little bit about the even the clinical trial process. Oh, yeah. Um, which is it is fascinating because Um, because it's a schedule one drug Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of hoops that uh, researchers have to go through to uh, be able to get approved uh, clinical Mm -hmm. trials
1: I'm not super familiar with the process for getting approved but I know that they have to get an approval from the government to be able to do the research Mm -hmm. Um, and the only people who are able to provide the cannabis for research is the University of Mississippi um, so that does pose some limitations in that there's only a certain amount produced per year for research. There's only a certain number of grants allotted per year for research. Mm-hmm. Um, and then additionally, when it comes to cannabis, there are different strains. So when we're only looking at the one strain from University of Mississippi, that may not be necessarily the m- most therapeutic mm-hmm. therapeutic level of THC for a patient or whatnot there's evidence behind right. using different strains
0: yes so speaking of strains uh cannabis has two different strains cannabis sativa and cannabis indica mm-hmm. and they have uh different if eff- one makes you a little sleepier um and then one does not um and the strength might be different mm-hmm. based on um the cult you know how they're culturing it and how they're growing it so if a researcher um writes a study for maybe 9% THC and 2% CBD Mm -hmm. and what's grown differs, then they may have to wait until it's, it's specific. So um, I know that also they have to get approval from the, from the DEA um, and it would be an IRB approval as well, because it would be an investigational drug. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things to navigate. Um, and so sometimes whenever, uh, we are seeing, there are a lot of PubMed articles out there Mm -hmm. on, uh, cannabis, but, um, a lot of times they can be refuted because, um, it hasn't been, you know, approved, uh, clinical trial. So mm-hmm. lots of hoops and um, interesting things there. But uh, so all that to say, what we really have to go on right now is then the package insert and some mm-hmm. of the information from Epidialex. Um Thankful to GW, research company that was able to produce that and get the FDA approval in the summer of 2018. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about... The pharmacist's role and um, maybe why it is so important um, to start learning about this.
1: Yeah. So are we talking the pharmacist's role in like clinical, not clinical, like in a retail pharmacy setting or just in general in the pharmaceutical industry?
0: Yeah. Well, first, let's kind of do a level set Mm -hmm. on what's the current knowledge (laughs) of pharmacist's (laughs) Or other healthcare professionals.
1: Well, I can only speak for myself in that I did not know anything about cannabis before starting this research. Um, I had no idea what THC was versus CBD. I mean, I had heard about it from Facebook, the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, patients would ask me about it at the counter. I'd be like, I have no clue where to get it. I don't really know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't ever taught anything about it in school. Right. Granted, there's a lot to cover, so I can see why they wouldn't. Right. Put something in like that. But, yeah, I we weren't taught any of it.
0: it same. Uh, that wasn't something that was covered because it was a Schedule One drug. Mm-hmm. So when we were doing reviews, um, you know, any of those illegal, like LSD, heroin, marijuana, all of that was lumped into, mm-hmm. you know, a very um, cursory overview of those. But because of so many approvals between, I think – California approved sometime in the nineties and it's, it's kind of had a big ramp up here recently. Tennessee where we are still hasn't approved Mm -hmm. um, medical marijuana, although it's been brought up for the past couple of years. So um, there's interest in that. And you've got patients that are coming in and asking about it because now with the farm bill, Mm That was approved in December of 2018. Uh, Again, that uh, legalized any CBD less than 0.3% of, that had it less than, uh, THC less than Mm -hmm. 0.3% nationwide. So um, we're starting to see CBD products pop up in pharmacies. Yes.
1: Yes. I work at a retail pharmacy, like a chain retail pharmacy, and we have a topical CBD uh display it doesn't have any oral cbd oils it's just all topical Mm -hmm. Um, but that has definitely sparked a lot of conversation people seeing that people will come up and take pictures of it people will walk (laughs) over to it and then like walk over to the counter and be like what is this what how do i use it Uh and then they'll ask about the oral products and none of us back there really know that much about it
0: yeah i've
1: got some information from doing all this but yeah we don't really know a lot about the topicals even Mm -hmm. on top of the orals
0: exactly um and so yeah so so there are a lot of formulations uh, available um I would say from from what I've read and and studied um you know in the past um smoking marijuana was probably one of the most popular mm-hmm. um ways that people were using it however Um, Just to, I guess, liken it to smoking cigarettes, uh, there could be some potential, um, you know, long-term side effects, Mm -hmm. uh, respiratory issues with that. But now we've got um, oils and tinctures, um, topicals, gummies, gabs, lozenges, um, you name it. Um, And I think that it's available. So a little bit of, of the guidance. Um, that we typically will hear in, in pharmacy school with other products is like the start slow, start low and go mm-hmm. slow. Um, and so that's been a little bit of a general rule of thumb. Yeah,
1: that was about all I could find dosing wise, but I mean, mm-hmm. there was a couple studies that said start with this much THC, right? But that was kind of it. Start low, go slow, see what the patient responds to, mm-hmm. which is kind of tough to tell people. Exactly. Um, And there are concerns
0: about quality of Mm -hmm. these products. Um, So, because they're essentially nutraceutical, they are not regulated by the FDA. Nope. And, but according to the FDA's website, there have been a number of companies that have been providing CBD products with warning letters even since 2015, um, mostly for problems with misbranding. So, again, just like we know with dietary supplements, um, there can't be any claims to cure uh, a disease because that hasn't been approved. So um, I'm not sure exactly what some companies are putting on their labels, but just the quality of the product in general is, um, Right now, with, with the pharmaceutical industry, we're really working on tightening up the supply chain and making sure you know that a drug came from a specific manufacturer, went through a distributor, and arrived at your pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, with these CBD products, we're really not sure about that.
1: Yeah, there's no like, supply chain transparency at all with CBD. Mm-hmm. It could technically be coming from anywhere, And on top of that, even if you have a company that, you know, you can trust, there's no consistency between batches necessarily. Mm
0: -hmm. There's
1: not really anybody watching the nutraceuticals, like the -the over-the-counter supplements. Right. So there's no guarantee that it's going to be the exact same each time.
0: Right. Um, And, you know, another thing that, that consumers or patients should be on the lookout for is that... It may not exactly have purely CBD in there. Um, So an example, uh, last summer in uh, Murfreesboro, there was a lady who had anxiety. She couldn't afford her anxiety medicines and, and did not want to take anxiety medicines. There are a lot of side effects associated. She'd been reading about CBD and wanted to try that out as a potential to help, um, reduce some anxiety and, um, actually failed a drug test Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, maybe hurt the product that she, uh, picked, uh, had a little bit of THC and so she failed the drug test and, um, as you know, there are, um, I think the employers right now are really scrambling to try to figure out policies on, you know, what do they do? Like if it's approved for medical use or now we've, we've got the farm bill and and they can use CBD only, but then they're kind of, uh, you know, a patient might be stuck if they pick a product or if, if the product has a little bit of THC and mm-hmm. somehow they,
1: they um, fail a test. Yeah, and THC sticks around for so long in the body. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even if it's a small amount, it could stay around for quite a while since it's so lipophilic.
0: Yes. Um, yeah, so a lot of things to consider. Um, and then you've also got potential drug interactions. Oh, definitely. Um, so, so potential drug interactions is, is certainly something that, uh, you know, we would want to educate patients about um, because a lot of times, you know, if you've got patients – um, who are elderly who are using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want, you know, maybe to stimulate their appetite. Um, a lot of them have aches and pains and or maybe wanting to use the CBD for, um, to help reduce inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of drug interactions yeah. associated.
1: Yeah, there's quite a few. The two that really stuck out to me was warfarin. Mm-hmm. Um, THC can increase the effect of warfarin, puts patients at a higher bleed risk. Um, And then the other one was valproate or valproate derivatives. Mm -hmm. Um, The combination of CBD with valproate derivatives increases the risk of liver injury, Mm. which could be, you know, if a patient has seizures and they're on valproic acid, you put them on some sort of CBD product, Mm -hmm. they're at higher risk of liver injury. some patients may not report it because they don't think of it as a medication. They think of it as an herbal, which isn't the same thing, and yeah. you run into issues with that. Yeah, they may not report it to their doctor, kind of thing.
0: Yes, and so pharmacists m- may need to start prompting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other, you know, what other um, over-the-counter uh, types of products are you using? Um, so we've covered we've covered a lot. Um, so so special populations is always you know something uh, that we need to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. So um, it, you know the use in kids. So we've seen that Epidiolex
1: has been approved, mm-hmm. uh, but it's always a risk versus benefit. Yeah, yeah, especially with this type of product. Um, I was reading that the use of uh, medical marijuana in Uh, Patients with undeveloped brains has a higher effect on the brain. Yes. um, And that it down regulates the amount of CB1 receptors that are in our brains. Mm -hmm. So that cutoff is actually 25 is when our brains really stop developing. Mm -hmm. So it may be higher risk to use in patients who are under 25.
0: Yes um yes exactly so um definitely consider that as a a risk versus benefit Mm -hmm. um in the younger generate younger populations and with um uh, mothers uh so a lot of times um moms may come in and are asking about cbd um you know but it could potentially go through the bloodstream and get to the baby And as Kari mentioned, um, the brain isn't fully developed until the age of 25, uh, so that's just something that um, we need to make sure and we're educating patients on. And uh, another topic uh, that we'll maybe want to share about, um, let's see, oh, we've covered a lot in just a short amount of time, but um, are there any other maybe last minute things that we want to uh, make sure that we leave with our pharmacist audience. Hmm.
1: Nothing's quite sticking out to me. I mean, I guess part of it's just educating your patients that, you know, just because they find something that's natural doesn't mean it's necessarily better than like the things they get at the pharmacy and vice versa. hmm You know, some things may work better for a patient than not, but it's something that they have to consider with their doctor, and it's a very patient-specific thing. So just because medical marijuana worked for their friend or CBD oil worked for their friend doesn't mean it's going to work for them in their situation. Right. And they have to be transparent with their healthcare providers.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, So hopefully everyone has learned a little bit more about uh the world of cannabis and uh we will be coming out with some more information uh soon and we just want to help um arm our pharmacy profession who are the most accessible healthcare providers um about all the things that you might see because when you've got patients coming into your retail pharmacy or maybe it's a patient that is coming into the hospital and maybe they've, they've been using cannabis for quite some time and they've built up a hyperemesis mm-hmm. um, or have, you know, violent vomiting. Um, these are all things to consider as we see that um, marijuana is becoming more widespread. Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoy the first of our CBD series, an overview of medical cannabis. We'll have some other interviews so you can learn a bit more in the next few weeks. Our new book on women in leadership will be launching soon. Head over to Amazon and search for How Pharmacists Lead to sign up to be in the first to get access to our new book on women in pharmacy leadership. And if you liked this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps us to get in front of more pharmacists and others interested in the pharmacy industry. We really appreciate your support in sharing this content. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.